Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to join you again for the week of Sunday, October 23rd. Um, Upcoming, we have a couple of events that I really hope that you can join us for. Uh, The first Halloween night market is coming up on October 29th. And that's supposed to be a really fun event. It'll be great, kind of out in the parking lot with a lot of folks coming through, um, kind of dressed up and handing out candy, all of, all of the good things as we're in this, you know, pseudo-fall California uh, space and month. And then the next day we will have our second annual community ofrenda for Dia de los Muertos. Um, this is going to be a celebration and an honoring and remembering of those within our close circles that have passed away, uh, particularly those in the last year. Um, But this can be anyone who's in your close family or close friends um, that you want to lift up and honor. And so we ask uh, for that week, and which will be next week after the Sunday, uh, to bring in a photo of them as well if you would like to uh, bring in, you know, their favorite candy or something that reminds you of them, we're going to be able to create a space of meditation, um, prayer, and just honoring honoring these people that are still a part of our stories. So I really hope you can join us for that. Um, and from there, we will be lifting off into November. Advent will be here before we know it. And then again, we will be rounding the corner into 2023, uh, which doesn't even feel like a real year, but supposedly it is. So we'll see when we get there. But to turn it back to this week, today, um, wherever you are listening to this, we're going to follow up last week's sermon um, with the next text from uh, part of Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. And it tells this parable of two prayers. And it is an interesting one to say the least. And of course, I have a number of thoughts to present with y'all. So I will go ahead and read it for us before jumping into it. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. So, with that opening, uh, we continue this idea and theme around persistence. And I want to bring it back to a theme of talking around separation anxiety. And when you hear that phrase, my bet is that your mind might jump to either someone or a a pet, a dog perhaps, who has a lot of difficulty um, spending time alone or away from you. And 
might really, really have a hard time with that. Um, and that's not quite the separation anxiety I'm talking about, but instead the anxiety that builds within us when we try or society tries to separate one from another. And this often happens in subconscious ways, more than conscious ones, but still, regardless, the impact is kind of the same. And so I want to get into this idea and question um, that I've come back to this week of, is the point to be justified or is the point to be connected? Now, with that, of course, um, I appreciate you journeying with me as I explore a couple of opposing um, thoughts in terms of these two men and the ways in which they are entering the temple, um, their actions, their words, and how that lends itself into more of a space of separation um, than connection. So these two men are offering polar opposite prayers. The first, of course, uh, I think is, is pretty obvious, maybe in um, its, its uh, potholes and um, this contrast is pretty extreme as the Pharisee stands apart, um, is probably speaking very loudly towards the front uh, so that all other worshipers can hear that he fasts, not just once as would have been required by law, but twice a week, that he gives a tenth of all of his income. And then, of course, there's the tax collector standing far off, probably in the back, um, and he's crying out to God, asking for mercy, because he is such a sinner. Now, we get into this verse uh, 14, and this is where my question kind of originates from. And it seems like there's still a binary happening here. That I tell you, this man went down to his home, justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. For me, I hope and I don't think that the story ends there. Because what about the next day? Is the Pharisee still going to be there, standing by himself, um, praying, thank God that I'm not like all these other terrible people. And will the tax collector be repeating this? God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I am, you know, but a worm, basically. Um, calling out for mercy without necessarily adjusting or changing with this call and with this hope. Um, even the tax collector's actions, this beating on his breast is uh, pretty unexpected as it's a physical gesture um, that's more associated uh, with women typically in the ancient Near East as well as is more typically shown in, in moments of extreme grief. Um, he doesn't try to use fancy words or cover up the fact that he feels this remorse, um, but instead he's kind of trying to assume this posture of casting himself down, um, hoping that God will hear and uphold his prayer. And again, I, I come back to this idea of if we focus too much on, I would say, a more typical notion of being justified, saved through faith, um, just say one prayer and it'll all get fixed. I think we miss the rest of the context of Luke where God is inhabiting belonging with 
and within us. The Pharisee sees his status uh, as a result of his own actions, his prayers about what he is doing, what he continues to do. And the tax collector um, sees also his uh, place as a result of his actions, but he's ashamed of them. It's about these things that he's done. I think at first the story seems fine, um, but I would say in the future we would expect some amendment of uh, the tax collector's behavior. I think it's pretty obvious that the Pharisee is just going off, going a little overboard, um, and we also yet still want or hope maybe that this tax collector is going to clean up his act. Which in part, I think, is important, at least in terms of it's going to take a reframing of his belief to understand where he exists in relationship to the divine and to one another. Um, There's this idea um, that if you just stick into this self-deprecating kind of uh, penitence, uh, this can't be our permanent posture. Uh, The guilt gospel is a real thing, and I don't think it really does anyone any good. So when we talk about coming back to awareness of oneness, when we talk about even feeling a sense of freedom in our own bodies and in our beliefs, it's very hard to get to in either the tax collector's version of prayer or the Pharisee's version of prayer. And then, of course, the actions that follow them as they leave that temple. I think instead, to build on the language that we used last week, um, this idea of, like, what should we be persistent in? For me, it comes back to acknowledging accountability um, and seeking community. And it's only with both of those things that I think we balance out either the self-deprecation or the boastful other side. These two extremes, neither one are truly helpful. Um, But if we are in a balanced community, I think it brings us back to the sense of center where we can acknowledge the things in which we hope to grow in without trying to claim more than what is ours to own. Um, We still hope for a space of compassion with one another and within our relationship with the divine. Um, And yet there's also this continuation that we have to be aware of, uh, that there is a system of social and economic competition um, that exists around these themes of justice, uh, injustice, and these verdicts uh, that someone appears to be giving in these two passages. Now, I think if we bring it back to this idea of separation anxiety, I hope that you can see the thread of what would continue to happen. Because even if these two men leave that day, ultimately, even if the tax collector is supposedly justified, they're still separated. There's no sense of reconciliation between the two of them or their stories. There's no sense of connection. between each other and seeing one another for who they truly are. Um, And there was this kind of blockage that was happening. And I think 
I use this language all the time, of it's so easy in a, a binary society in which we still pretty much exist in, even though we are trying to do the work of creating more space for a spectrum, it is so easy to silo and it is so hard to find connection. And it takes people, it takes stories, it takes listening and compassion to overcome the separation, to overcome the anxiety that comes along with it. Part of that, I think, is breaking out of the conventional sense of who is who or who's important, whether that's in our church history or even how we set up these hierarchies in our own lives, right, of oh, that person is so much better at this than, than I am, I'll never get there. Or even if you've evolved past, you know, that level of competition, oh, I still, you know, have the sense of I want to be better, not just for the sake of, of improvement, but because you feel like you need to, because you feel like you have to keep pushing the bounds or else. And usually there's really not anything behind that or else, but that's a topic for another day. So I think it's important for us to turn towards other stories um, that are unconventional um, but still offer different pictures of what it's like to connect. Um, And I think in this connection, whether it's through images and art or real-life stories that we're hearing in real time, we finally get a sense of that awareness of oneness. And really it's only in that that we can see a true picture of the divine. So what we're going to do, particularly on Sunday, and you can continue this practice um, as we'll have the art installed for as long as I can kind of perceive into the future, but we're going to create space to engage with some more stories on Sunday. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I talked about the story of Polly Murray um, and how important Polly is in our church history. And then on Sunday, we're going to open that up, that space up, and we're going to do uh, a kind of gallery walk, if you will, of the artwork of the icons that are in uh, the hallway inside of the sanctuary. And they're by an artist, Kelly Lattimore. Um, he it was a member of Common Friars, has an awesome background. We'll share more about him on Sunday as well. But I love this idea of coming back to creating new, unconventional images, lifting up kind of unconventional saints, if you will, Um, because I think it's through learning these stories that we see those connections between our own. And so uh, a phrase or a saying from Kelly Lattimore um, comes uh, to us in these words as he says why he felt the need to create this art. He says, I feel the need for new images. In some icons, I wish to embrace the traditional forms and image, but for many icons, the image needs reshaping, reimagining, and rewondering. There are icons here that people may find theologically unsound and wrong, and for others, hopefully helpful and inspiring. And I think both reactions are important. My hope is that these icons do what all art can potentially do, which is to create more dialogue by transcending our biases, listening, and having inner silence about our convictions, our inherited traditions, or our favorite ideas, 
we can become open to the patterns of work, knowledge, and experience we may not have seen in the other or buried in ourselves. The other may have something to teach us about what we know, about who God is, the world we live in, and who are our neighbors. This is the real work of being human and of art, being more present. I think that says so much, um, and I just, I really appreciate how Kelly breaks down kind of every reaction that might come as we explore this art, and that they are important. And also, I hope that you can hold that in one hand while also hold the other open uh, to hear others' experiences as we move into that space on Sunday. I think as I look at this parable, what I don't see is any real sense of peace. But there's not peace in either individual. In fact, I think for both, even if they put on this mirage of confidence, um, neither are truly uh, present to themselves. I think that I, I came across uh, someone saying this uh, not too long ago, but that there's no such real thing as peacekeepers. There are only peacemakers, meaning that it requires work. It requires intentionality. And my hope is that we might see a way in which um, these two men in the parable and many in which we are in contact with might be able to find peace and make it together. When I was at my training a few weeks ago, um, truly listening to some hard, deep stories of loss, um, one woman who is a bereaved mother offered this phrase, and it's a phrase in Farsi, and she roughly translated it to say, love is a bridge and I will meet you there. So I hope and I pray that we can meet each other where love is a bridge. And even if that is just our starting point, that we'll walk it together. So as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the full.